We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter number 18. Most of you will be familiar with the story. And it's been approached in a number of different ways in sermons. I intend to approach it in a little different light tonight. 1 Kings chapter number 18. We're in our series still yet. I don't know how long we'll go. We may end it before long. But in our series where saints have trod on Wednesday nights, we're tracing the footsteps of God's people all through the Holy Land and they, where they've encountered some unique experiences and experiences that you and I can learn from. Isn't that what the Bible is for? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that all those things that happened to those saints in the Old Testament was for our learning. And so if we can learn something from them, uh, we don't have to repeat the history for ourselves, especially if it's a bad history. So in 1 Kings chapter number 18, uh, just to get you oriented in this text, Elijah is the man of God. He's come on the scene just recently in the Bible. And Ahab is the wicked king of Israel. Elijah is the, the prophet. He's the man of God in Israel. Ahab is the wicked king. Elijah has prayed that God would just shut up the heavens and there'd be no rain. He's trying to get people's attention. And so God, uh, hearkening to Elijah's prayer, sealed up the heavens, no rain. Three and a half years of no rain. And now it's come to Elijah's attention that he's supposed to show himself to wicked king Ahab. And Ahab thinks, Elijah's the, he's the enemy. Isn't it a lot of times that way, even in our own lives, that those who are righteous and those who stand for God are the ones that get deemed the enemy? Isn't that true? And they, they begin to hate people who stand up for truth. Well, that's what happened to Elijah. In verse number 17, it says, And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel. But thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. In other words, they're idol worshippers. They're, they're, they're worshiping devils. and They've turned from the true and living God. And he says in verse 19, And thou therefore send and gather to me all Israel. This is Elijah speaking. Gather unto me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel, the wicked, uh, wicked queen. And it says in verse 20, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and, to gather, and gathered the, the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is up in the northern part of Israel, and it's pretty good ways from the Mediterranean coast. But I was there a number of years ago and got to stand on the very site where this supposedly uh, took place where Elijah called down fire from heaven and slew the prophets of Baal. They've got a big statue there erected to Elijah and he got a sword in his hand, you know. And so uh, Elijah, was, he was a tough old coot, boy, and he, he's standing up there on Mount Carmel challenging the prophets of Baal. And as I stood on Mount Carmel, I could see all the way out over the Mediterranean Sea uh, from that vantage point. It's a pretty high mountain. And so this is where they're gathered on Mount Carmel. And for those of you who call the candy, Mount Car you call it caramel? How many call it caramel? 
You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> Whoever heard of Mount Caramel? <laughs> it's Mount Carmel. Well, you call it whatever you want. I'm just joking. And Elijah came unto all the people and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on the wood and put no fire under and call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. So they got this altar built, and, and he's challenged them to a duel. He said, Now you, you put your, your, put your uh, bull on the altar, and I'll put mine on the altar, and we'll see who the real God is. Verse 26, and they took the bullet which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal. This is the false god. From morning until noon saying, Oh Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. <laughs> I, I kind of like Elijah. Uh, and he said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. So he's mocking us. Your God's not answering. You're calling down fire on your sacrifice, and nothing's happening. Maybe he's on a phone a trip somewhere. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a little nap. You know, you need to wake your God up and ask him to send down some fire. Elijah's just having a good time out there. He's the only one standing for God, but he's having a good time mocking the prophets of Baal. Verse 28, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past and they, were, and, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded and Elijah said unto the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And the, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And he said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He's soaking down his wood. He's showing that he's got faith that God's really going to do something here special. Verse 34. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And he just keeps having pour water on his sacrifice and on the wood. <laughs> and the water ran around the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass 
at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said. Now this is where I want you to pay close attention because the next few verses is going to be the text for where we're going tonight. Elijah's got everything laid in order. He's got his sacrifice on there. He's got it soaked down with water. And he comes up to pray. The prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Let's pray together and then we'll get into our lesson. Father, we sure do love you tonight and thank you for being such a powerful God that it cannot be denied. Lord, that you've done great and mighty things that cannot be compared to anything that's humanly possible and certainly not to the false gods. Lord, we pray that tonight that you'd send your sweet Holy Spirit in our midst that we might be that we might be encouraged, that we might be instructed. Lord, that we might go away having learned some things that will profit us in a way that will bring greater glory to you. Lord, we pray that you'd bless at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to kind of split this up into two things. I want to go through these couple of verses, uh, especially the prayer, the prayer of Elijah. Uh, I've entitled this Calling to the Creator at Carmel. Calling to the Creator at Carmel. And I want you to know, first of all, that Elijah had prepared himself. We're, talking about, we're going to be talking about public prayer tonight, actually. Public prayer. And, and God had done something in Elijah's life. And Elijah was prepared so he could pray without being embarrassed about it. He could pray because he knew God personally. He could pray because he had served God and God had worked through Elijah. And Elijah saw the miracles that had been done by the power of God through him in the past. So he was confident about what God could do. And so he had no qualms about praying this public prayer. And you and I can learn something from his prayer. He had a testimony. He had faith. And when you got a testimony for the Lord, your prayer can exhibit your faith. And when you've had faith in God, and then when it comes to praying in public, you, you will trust God to give you the words to say and that it will accomplish what God means for it to accomplish. And there will be very little fear there because you've been in His service and you're not afraid. Now, notice His prayer in particular in verses 36 and 37. Verse number 36. And he's, he prays just in these 
two verses. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, now here's his, here's his prayer. Keep in mind, this is the great Elijah. This is the man that has, has filled through prayer, he's filled the widow's barrel with oil. This is the man that has raised the widow's son to life. This is the man who has seen God feed him at the brook by bread from the ravens. This is the man seeing God work. And so this is a man, he could have prayed a long, long prayer, but his prayer was one that touched people's hearts and it got straight to God. Notice the first thing. Well, let me tell you a little story first. We're talking about prayer tonight, okay? We're talking about prayer. Uh, just so you know, prayer works and it can be a short prayer. <laughs> or a little boy, uh, he was kind of be, raising a ruckus in church and the people just kind of tuned him out, but finally the dad got all he could stand. He got the little boy up and tucked him under his arm, and man, he's watching out with that little boy, and nobody's paying a lot of attention to him until the little boy, the man gets to the door with the little boy, and the little boy turns back and says, y'all pray for me. <laughs> you know, a prayer can be short and to the point, and Elijah's prayer was short and to the point. When we're praying publicly, and, and you might say, well, preacher, does it... Does it really matter to the ladies? It seems like the men's always the ones doing the prayer. You ever hear of a ladies' meeting? You ever hear of a ladies' devotion, a ladies' luncheon, uh, ladies' conferences? Ladies pray in public too. And children can pray in Sunday school classes. And uh, people can pray in the teenage class. And there's people, everybody can pray publicly. Can I get an amen on that? Everybody can pray publicly. And so this is designed, what we're doing tonight is designed to see what God did through Elijah and what he can do through us in public prayer. The prayer, first of all, was pithy, pithy, brief, succinct. Um, A prayer can be fairly short, and most of the time in public it ought to be. Now, that's not to say that, boy, when we get alone with ourselves in a closet, prayer closet, and we're praying personally, that's between us and God. And we might pray for 30 minutes. We might pray for an hour. We might pray for it longer. And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with a long prayer. As long as you want to hang out with God and pray and talk to the Lord, just feel free to do it. But in public, a prayer is usually appreciated more <laughs> if it's pithy. D.L. Moody, it's said of D.L. Moody, the great preacher back in the 1880s, it said that he was in a, in a prayer service one, one time and, and this one guy had, had prayed and prayed and prayed and D.L. Moody was leading the service and the man prayed and he prayed and he prayed and man, everybody's getting weary and finally D.L. Moody stepped to the, to the podium and said, folks, uh, turn to page number 162 in your hymn book while a brother finishes praying <laughs> and he just kept on going. You know, a prayer can, can, could be too long publicly and so his prayer was, it was fairly brief and it was pointed, boy, Elijah got down to the point. You see, praying needs to have a point to it. It's not just kind of meandering along and, and uh, sailing out through the universe and among the planets and talking about everything that God, and reminding God how great and powerful he is. And, and it could be that we're going into a theological dissertation when, when we might want to be a little more pointed in our prayer. And boy, Elijah was pointed. He got right to the point. He said, we're going to choose this day. Uh, you folks that listen to the prayer uh, of Elijah that day, he's saying to you, 
choose. You either choose Baal or you choose God. And boy, he got right to the point. His prayer was purposed. John Bunyan said, When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words be without heart. We need to have a heart. In it. We're praying publicly. We put our heart into it. Why well, believe Elijah? He's standing there with 400 prophets of Baal and all of those prophets of Jezebel. And, and man, he's outnumbered. But he's praying with heart. He's talking to God. His prayer was powerful. What happened? After Elijah prayed, man, the fire from heaven fell and licked up the dust and the water and the wood and the sacrifice and even burned up the stones. You say, you really believe it did all that, preacher? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Scripture says so. God answered his prayer. And his prayer was powerful and not just in what we see happening to that sacrifice, but the prayer was powerful in that the people said, the Lord is God. Lord is God. Powerful prayer. I was reading in this old book. I've had this ever since Bible college. I think this is the one. 1982. It's by Alfred P. Gibbs, the preacher, and he's preaching. And it's a whole book about preaching and and not just about preaching. He talks about the preacher being prepared to preach. And one of the things he gets at in there, uh, over towards the end of the book, he talks about public prayer. And I'd like to just give you a couple of things out of, out of his book that I think would be helpful. I know it's been helpful to me about public prayer. <clears throat> he defines it. He says it's a delicate subject, but one that should be faced. And it's an audible expression of the believer's heart as he voices his desires to God in the presence and on behalf of others. So when we pray publicly, we're praying not just between us and God, but it's an audible prayer. And so it involves everybody who's listening. I mean, if it, if it didn't, why would we even do it? We just let everybody do the praying at home. But we have public prayer. And it has a way of exposing the, the petitioner's heart and in, in embracing the others to lead them to the presence of God. And then he gives some scriptural requirements of public prayer. He said the prayer, number one, must be intelligent. And so while it doesn't need to be while it doesn't need to be a theological dissertation, it does need to be intelligent. I mean, it accomplishes something. A public prayer gets to the point, and it's intelligent. It, it means something. It's not just blathering. Is that a word? It is, isn't it? It's not just meandering, but it's an intelligent thing, public prayer. And then he says it must be intelligible. What would that mean? for a prayer to be intelligible. Remember, we're pray, talking about public, public prayer. The Bible says, as far as our private prayer goes, it says that, that the Spirit can understand things that just groanings. So if, you, if you're brokenhearted and you're, you're just pouring your heart out to God and you might not even find the words or they may not be very good words grammatically, 
But if you're just groaning to the Lord, He can read the desires of your heart. But wait a minute. When we're praying in public, we got other people listening just besides God. And so it needs to be intelligible in that we enunciate our words clearly. What else would you say? Give me some input. Help me out. What else besides enunciating the words clearly? Huh? Understandable? Okay, so it should be words that's understood. Now, if we, if we went to a, a theology textbook and picked out some great big words, it might impress a few professors, <laughs> college professors, but the average person probably not going to understand. Even just the normal Christian words that we use sometimes, we have to be careful because we may say words that we're used to and maybe our family's used to, but there may be other people Maybe visitors in the crowd, and they don't know what those words even mean. And so they need to be understand. What else? In, in it being intelligible. For it to be intelligible, it must be loud enough to be heard. Have you ever been in a church service, and you're standing there in the pew, and a preacher calls on somebody to pray, and they say, and you're listening saying, I don't know what those words mean. Maybe I'll recognize amen when he gets there. <laughs> Sometimes that's a highlight of the prayer is the amen. <laughs> so to be intelligible, what should we do when we're praying publicly? I suppose when... Elijah prayed that day since all the people were gathered around. There must have been a huge crowd. I, don't you just imagine that he did more than mumble? Don't you, don't you imagine when Elijah was up there praying, Oh, Lord God, of Isaac, Abraham, Jacob. Maybe he, maybe he spoke loud enough that they could hear him on the back pew. And that's one of the things we do here that I think we probably ought to do a little differently is sometimes because there's people that are watching online and sometimes we call on somebody in, in the auditorium to pray and even if they're praying loud enough, they don't have a microphone and so if there's not a microphone, the reason people online can hear me is because I've got a microphone on. But if I call on somebody to pray, the people online are listening. To, can I hear anything going on there? And Probably not. Maybe we need to use a microphone more. Uh, for our public praying. So to be intelligible, it needs to be more than a mumble. And here's one of the things, here's one of the things that I was taught in Bible college, and just because it's taught in Bible college doesn't mean it's the right thing, but I think it is the right thing. In Bible college, I was taught when you, when you pray publicly to stand to your feet, and that brings your voice up where it'll carry out over the crowd. And so if you're sitting down and you got your head bowed, you're praying into the carpet and into the back of the seat in front of you and it's soaking up all the sound and people around you can't hear and so public prayer ought to be audible it ought to be intelligible and he says it must be edifying to those that hear edifying in uh, 1 Corinthians when it talks about praying in tongues uh, Paul said that doesn't edify anybody in the church why? because well it's not intelligible and he said, people will think you're barbarians <laughs> if there happens to be somebody there that's just visiting. So it needs to be intelligible and it must be edifying. He said, if you're praying in tongues, you might edify yourself, but you ain't edifying anybody else. And so public prayer should be something that lifts up others 
and brings them closer to the throne of God. Correct? That's the purpose of our public prayer. And it should be reverent. It should be intelligible. But there's some reasons why some prayers might not be edifying to those around us. It may be that it's uttered in too low of a voice to be heard. Or it could be that somebody is somebody's just not into it. Maybe they're just not thinking about what they're saying. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Or maybe, what's another reason that a prayer may not be edifying to somebody else? Because it's too long. <laughs> if it's too long of a prayer, it might not be helpful. Or maybe it's too involved. You ever hear a prayer that really got strung out and it's going long ways and long ways and you know, well, where are they going you know uh, what's the destination here it's kind of like my preacher that I got saved under he was teaching younger preachers to uh, to learn how to close a sermon <laughs> and there's there's some difference there's some differences but there's some similarities between preaching and praying and uh, my my preacher said to our younger preachers he said now guys when you get up there when you run out of anything to say conclude the sermon and sit down because <laughs> he said you're like an airplane over the airport if you said if you just keep circling and circling and circling when you've run out of gas that's not helpful <laughs> so when you run out of a sermon when you run out of things to say land that airplane and that's what we do in a prayer as well when we run out of the prayer what we intended to say land that airplane a lot of people are listening for that amen <laughs> Well, it could be that the prayer was too involved or it could be that sometimes it is a sermon. You ever heard anybody pray a sermon in a public prayer? Sometimes it turns into maybe it's scolding some other brother or sister in the congregation. Maybe it's preaching them a sermon. Man, I've got them now. Everybody's going to be afraid to lift their head and look around, so I'm going to pray right to them. <laughs> And why do we pray to God and bringing other people along with us, not scolding somebody else? I mean, there's a time to preach a sermon, and there's a time, there's a time to preach against sin. There's a, there's a time when you may nail something that somebody's doing wrong, but generally speaking, our prayer is not the place to do it. The only time I, well, it's the only time I can remember I did pray a little sermon a time or two <laughs> when I was witnessing to somebody and they, they wouldn't accept the Lord as Savior or they didn't believe what I was saying. For one reason or another, it was coming to a close and I knew they weren't going anywhere with me in that soul-winning expedition. So I said, well, can we at least have a word of prayer together? And yeah, sure, you know, people don't like to tell you, no, you can't pray. <laughs> and so I'd pray and I'd pray the Romans road to them, <laughs> pray the verses of salvation to them in my prayer. Well, that's kind of preaching them a sermon and that's probably not the best thing to do usually. But if it's only a chance you've got to get the gospel to somebody, maybe it's worth a try. <clears throat> the prayer, some, some prayers are not edifying. Some public prayers are not edifying to those around them because of the overuse of words. Some words are just, I used to use the word hackneyed. Is that still a term that's used sometimes? Hackneyed expressions. Like too many, 
too many times they, in their single prayer, they'll refer to the same word over and over again. Maybe the same divine name of God. And uh, repetitious. In Matthew, Jesus said, speaking in the context of prayer, he said we ought to avoid vain repetitions. Now, a lot of that true goes toward the uh, idolaters and pagans repeating the same prayer over and over and over again. That's why I wouldn't ever want to be a bead counter <laughs> because they tend to say the same stuff or have a prayer wheel. You know, you just turn the wheel and you say the same prayer over and over. Um, well, sometimes we Baptists do that in our prayer, in our public prayer. If I was going to talk to Brother Paul back here in an ordinary conversation and I wanted to ask him to take me to town, I wouldn't say, Oh, thou gracious and loving Brother Paul, would you in your graciousness and in your loving kindness run me to the drugstore and then wouldst thou bring me back? Uh, I wouldn't refer to him too many times and call his name over and over again. Paul, would you? Paul, loving Paul, kind and gracious Paul. Uh, No, I'd probably just say, hey, Paul, I need to go to the drugstore. You want to run me up there? (laughs) That'd be a little easier, wouldn't it? Well, why don't we talk to God that way? And in our public prayers, if, and there's, there's a lot of words that are overworked. And I'll tell you something that would help us, something I do with my sermons sometimes, and sometimes it makes me sick. I listen to my sermons that I've preached. I listen to them again on YouTube or on Sermon Audio to see what I said and to see if I've got any little idiosyncrasies. Of course, I don't, but if I did, I'd discover them. (laughs) Just joking. If I use the same word over and over again, you know, I'd discover it. And so if you want to see how how you sound, uh, listen to a recording of you praying publicly and see what you sound like the first time I heard me preaching a sermon on this was back in the days of uh, cassette tracks or cassette tapes and first time I heard myself preaching a sermon I thought oh man who is that hillbilly this is terrible do I really sound that way I thought I sounded like Lee Robertson or Jack Hiles or somebody I didn't know I sounded like me And so sometimes when you hear yourself recorded, it's a little bit embarrassing and uh, disturbing to yourself. You've heard yourself recorded before, haven't you? Just in ordinary discussions. Well, another shock is when you hear yourself preaching a sermon or when you hear yourself praying a public prayer. If we talk to God in a public prayer with ordinary language, I think people around us would be edified more. And if we talk from the heart and trying to bring others along with us to the very presence of God, then when it's all over, people will be more likely to be edified. Well, let me read this poem. This, was, this poem was written to preachers about preaching, but it applies pretty well to public praying. Uh, before, before I read the poem, I wanted to say this. I meant to put this at the beginning, and 
I don't have my notes tonight. <laughs> you got to be, and don't ever depend on notes for a prayer because something will go haywire. Better just pray from the heart. Uh, but <laughs> for the last hour before the service started, I was trying to download my notes uh, from my laptop to my iPad, which I usually use for, for my notes at the pulpit, and something went haywire. I don't know if it was the internet or my, my laptop or with my iPad or what, but I could not force those notes into my iPad. And so having said that, I'm giving you this at the end instead of the beginning where I intended to in my notes. I call on people, as a pastor, I call on people to pray uh, about every service. And there's maybe reasons why I call on certain people. And it's not because I like some people more than others, but it's because I know certain people don't mind praying in public. And some do. I called on a guy to pray one time. He had told me uh, earlier, he said, now preacher, don't ever call on me to pray in church. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'll go into shock. I had forgotten it. And this was, I mean, weeks or months had passed. And we're all standing ready to be dismissed. And, and I just looked over and saw that guy. You know, he's sitting right over in, kind of in this area. I looked over and saw him. And he'd been a member for a long time. And so I, I was thinking it was okay to call on him. And I called on him to pray. And boy, he just, a bit, he just about did have a coronary thrombosis. <laughs> If you don't know what that means, this is a big one. What was her name? Sanford. Huh? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Coming home, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, man, he was in shock. And after service, he, he was shaking hands. He went out. He said, Preacher, I can't believe you called on me to pray. I said, You mean you don't pray in public? He said, no, he said, don't you remember I told you once, never call on me, I'm scared to death. I said, well, you did pretty good, brother, you did pretty good. He said, just don't call on me anymore. <laughs> and and uh, somehow after that, he's not a member anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but I call on people that I know, generally, with that exception, <laughs> I call on people that I know don't mind pay- praying publicly. And so if I haven't called on uh, some of the men in our membership to pray, it's probably because I don't know for sure that you're okay pay, praying publicly. And I don't want to just embarrass the daylights out of anybody or cause them to go into shock. Now, if somebody says, well, I'm okay with praying, preacher. I'm okay with praying. Then I'll probably call on them from time to time. And I'll likely call on members most of the time. Not that we don't ever have non-members to pray, but because I know members personally, I feel more comfortable about calling on members to pray. And because and you don't know the, the background or the, uh, the personality uh, of the person if he's not a regular person. So just generally avoid calling on people that's not. Now, if we have a missionary, I figure missionaries, preachers, evangelists, if they can't pray in public, there's something wrong. They need to be exposed anyway, you know. So I call on them to pray. But generally, I keep it condensed down to the male membership and, uh, and people that we know well. Um, if you want to pray publicly, and I've never asked you, catch me off to the side sometime because I seldom ever forget anything. <laughs> Why are you smiling? 
But if I have forgotten to call on somebody, it's not because I'm trying to ignore you or don't like you. It's just because, you know, when you're looking at a whole bunch of different faces. Now, on Wednesday night, you know, we got the teens in the back and we got the elementary kids in the back, and so there's not that many in here, so it's easier to keep up with everybody. But like on a Sunday morning, you got all the auditorium full, and you look out and you try to pick a friendly face and somebody you know don't mind praying, and you call on them. And so the same people. I always like to call on Connor. He's got a good, loud voice, and, uh, and he can lift up his voice, and everybody all the way to the back row will hear him. And so uh, that's one of the reasons I call on some people uh, without apprehension because I know they don't mind praying. They like to pray publicly, and they're good and loud, and everybody hears them. Well, now for my poem. I said I'd do this. This, this poem was written to help preachers with their sermons, but it applies to... Uh, public prayer as well. I don't know who wrote it, but here's the way it goes. Quote, It should be brief. If lengthy, it will steep. Our hearts in apathy, our eyes will sleep. The dull will yawn. The chapel lounger doze. Attention flag, the memory's portals close. It should be warm, a living altar coal. To melt the icy heart and charm the soul. A sapless dull harangue, however red, will never stir the soul or raise the dead. It should be simple, practical, and clear. No fine-spun theory to please the ear. No curious lay to tickle lettered pride. And leave the poor and the plain unedified. It should be tender and affectionate, as his warm theme who wept lost Salem's fate. The fiery law, by words of love allayed, will sweetly warn and artfully persuade. It should be manly, just, and rational, wisely conceived and expressed withal, not stuffed with silly notions apt to stain a sacred desk and show a muddy brain. It should be mixed with many an ardent prayer to reach the heart and fix and fasten it there. When God and man are mutually addressed, God grants a blessing, man is truly blessed. It should be closely well applied at last to make the moral nails secure fast. Thou art the man, and that alone will make a Felix tremble and a David quake. Well, I kind of like the little poem. I kind of like the prayer of Elijah on Mount Carmel. He prayed a two... A two Verse, prayer. The prophet of Israel. Public prayer lasted two verses. You know what the longest prayer in the Bible is? Anybody know? Longest prayer in the Bible? I thought about preaching a series on all the prayers of the Bible, but I didn't want to bore you. The longest prayer in the Bible is by Solomon at the dedication of the temple. You know how long it lasted? If you read through it in the Bible, it'll take you a little less probably than seven minutes to read through the longest prayer in the Bible. This is our pattern, is it not, ladies and gentlemen? And so if Solomon at the dedication of the temple got it done in seven minutes, we probably would be wise to follow. Now if the preacher can just learn to preach briefly and succinctly, we'll be doing good. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, thank you for your instructions from the Word of God. Thank you for that prayer of Elijah. Oh, how powerful it was. Lord, thank you for the instructions, not just from 
this word, but from the man of God that we read from the book. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us tonight. Help us to be willing and able to pray publicly for the edification of others.